Thank you for joining me for our Good Friday meditation. We'll look today at the message from our service. Tomorrow's devotion will have the Tenebrae meditation on our YouTube video. But today, our Good Friday meditation will look at the order of beginning order of service in our bulletin. Hear the scripture readings and the message. On this solemn occasion, as we remember the death of our Lord and Savior, we worship in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture reading is from Isaiah 53, Verses, verses 4 to 7 and 12b, reading which Isaiah wrote, was inspired to write the words about 700 years before Christ, but they tell us about our Savior's suffering and death so, so accurately. Surely Jesus took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And we'll sing our hymn, hymn 116, in the hour of trial. In the hour of trial, 
Jesus, plead for me, lest by base denial I unworthy be. When you see me waver, with a look recall, nor for fear or favor ever let me fall. With forbidden pleasures should this vain world charm, or its tempting treasures spread to work me harm. Bring to my remembrance sad Gethsemane, or in darker semblance cross-crowned Calvary. Should your mercy send me sorrow, toil, and woe, or should pain attend me on my path below, grant that I may never fail your cross to view, grant that I may ever cast my care on you. When my life is ending, though in grief or pain, when my body changes back to dust again, on your truth relying through that mortal strife, Jesus, take me dying to eternal life. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. The Word of God we want to consider this Good Friday is from Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 33. As they led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country. They placed the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd of people was following him, including women who were mourning and wailing for him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Be aware, be sure of this. The days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never gave birth and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things to the green wood, what will happen to the dry? Two other men who were criminals were led away with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Let's bow our heads for prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who are our strength and our salvation. Amen. My dear fellow 
Christians who are following in the footsteps of our Savior, the Via Doloroso, the way of sorrows. It stretches, oh, about a half mile as it weaves through the, the old city of Jerusalem. This Via Doloroso is supposed to be the same road on which our Savior walked, taking his final steps from, from Pontius Pilate to Golgotha to the place of his crucifixion. So because it's the way that Jesus supposedly went, is purported to have gone, that means that thousands and thousands of religious pilgrim and pilgrims often hope to retrace Jesus' steps every year. And, well, during Holy Week, and especially on Good Friday, that road is wall-to-wall -wall with people, and the going is very slow because of the, the traffic jam you have there with all of those pilgrims, many of them kneeling at the different stations of the cross. These locations are carefully marked with large Roman numeral plaques, and the title, Via Doloroso, is on the street signs, so you can't miss them. These stations, they actually have 14 pictures or carving depicting various events from the Passion of Christ, starting with Jesus at Pontius Pilate and going up to Jesus' lifeless body being placed in the tomb of, of Joseph of Arimathea. The exact locations of these stations, of course, hasn't been recorded in Scripture. And some of the events that are listed there aren't even recorded in Scripture. And it almost seems as if some of those events have been added just to give people an extra spot to stop at and to have a relic that they can earn points with God, which of course isn't the way it really works. And well, like that maybe the station where Veronica supposedly wiped the blood and sweat from Jesus' face when, when he fell. The cloth that she used, the veil of Veronica is a relic that supposedly has these miraculous qualities. But of course, nothing like that is recorded in Scripture. Nothing like that is recorded in Scripture. But today we're going to look at what is recorded in Scripture. Today, on the Friday that we call Good, Good Friday, we're going to walk the Via Doloroso, we could say, and we can travel that way with the relatively sparse record of the inspired writer, Luke. We walk beside our Savior in spirit and see how his final steps led to the place of the skull. And on the way, Simon helped him. On the way, women wept over him. 
On the way, two criminals accompanied him, and at the place of the skull, he was crucified. A little bit of a stretch, we could say, on Good Friday, Good Friday, for Christians to ponder all that there is here. Luke kind of matter-of-factly just states here for us, as they led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country. They placed the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. They? That's referring to the Roman soldiers who were assigned to supervise our Savior's execution. How many crucifixions did they do before this and after that? Well, we don't know that. But we know that the centurion and those soldiers who were working with him, they were deeply moved and deeply touched by everything that happened here. And, well, it says after Jesus died, they cried out, truly this was the Son of God. But that's not the way they felt just hours earlier when they led him away from Pilate. And from the crowds, Pilate, who had told the crowds, Behold the man! The man who had been so brutalized by the guards, scourged, struck in the face, spit upon, mocked. A crown of thorns was jammed into his head, and that purple robe was put on his back and his shoulders that had already been so terribly beaten, putting that robe on and taking it off again, brutalizing Jesus even further. And this whole purpose of Pontius Pilate and having Jesus beaten like that, he knew Jesus was innocent. He wanted the people to feel a pity for Jesus so they wouldn't end up having him crucified or executed. But instead, everything that happened, the instigators of the mob got them all to say, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. So they did. But the man who was so brutalized and he was so weak that carrying his cross was just not something that he could do. He couldn't carry that cross to the place of the skull. So the centurion probably looking over the crowd, trying to find someone that he thought, oh, this guy could could handle the cross for Jesus. Well, who knows how many times Jesus stumbled and fell until he became impatient and said, I gotta get somebody else to carry his cross for him. Well, he found Simon of Cyrene. That was a Greek city in, in Libya, in North Africa. Historians tell us that about 300 B.C., a hundred thousand Jews had been forced to settle in that area. And Simon, as I said, likely a Jew, was in Jerusalem like so many religious pilgrims to celebrate the Passover. Mark informs us about this Simon of Cyrene, that he had a son named Rufus. And all these little details that are together in the scriptures just emphasize for us, emphasize for us that 
the records of what happened with our Savior, that they're not, well, as Peter says, cunningly devised fables, but they were divinely inspired. Eyewitness records guaranteed to be correct by just looking at those little details that are included there. Yet when it comes to Simon of Cyrene here, the father of Rufus, we kind of have to wonder a little bit, why is the Lord specific, so specific in mentioning him and, and in particular mentioning his son? Why make sure we know those names? And maybe you can wonder that because 25 years later, when Paul was writing his letter to the Romans, he greets a, a believer whose name was Rufus. And if this is the same Rufus that's mentioned here, just think about what happened. Then it could be just such a shocking twist of events that, that God used this nightmarish, height-rending chore that Simon was forced to do to maybe reach Simon and his family and bring them into God's believing family. And wouldn't that absolutely be wonderful? But for now, we stay on that Via Doloroso, on where Jesus' final steps led him to the place of the skull. And on the way, women wept over Jesus. I don't know if the crowds on Good Friday were equal in size to the crowds that were there on Palm Sunday, but I'm certain that the many observers there on Good Friday, when they heard what was going on, they weren't ready to take and cut palm branches down and throw their cloaks on the Via Doloroso for the sake of Jesus and the trip that he was taking for his final steps to the cross and to Golgotha. They just made Pilate's hall ring out with the bloodthirsty cry, crucify, crucify him. So many were following because of the ghoulish prospect of getting a front row seat at a Roman execution. And now maybe just remember, of course, that Roman executions, the crucifixions, they were kind of a spectator sport. And we may think that we're above that sort of things, but, but, but actually think about all the people that like to watch those NASCAR races and see the cars piling up. Well, we still have that tendency. But on Good Friday, not all the people were there for the show. Not, it says here, the women who were mourning and wailing for him. And how many women were there that day? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. How loud were they wailing? Well, this was Jewish mourning, Jewish wailing. And that was an expression of grief. And, 
It wasn't the restrained grief that we often like to have it at our funerals. When we have funerals, usually what happens is that people try to subdue their grief and hide their grief. And if they can't, they maybe would go off to a secluded room or something like that. But the, that wasn't the case here. There was this mourning and this wailing about Jesus. And the mourning that was there on Good Friday, that caught the Savior's attention. And even though these were his final footsteps, his final steps to the cross and to Calvary and, and he had so much to endure and everything, even though that was the case, he still showed his love and his care and his concern for those women because here Jesus was one who truly knew how to show love for his neighbor. He wasn't focusing on his suffering. He was thinking about the problems they were bringing upon themselves. And now God's God-pleasing love, it looks and sounds like this, Jesus saying, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Be sure of this, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never gave birth and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things to the green wood, what will happen to the dry? on the way of sorrows, the Via Doloroso. Jesus' heart broke and it didn't break because he was thinking about what he would endure, but he was thinking about those people. He was thinking about what the lost would go through because they had rejected him. As God's son, what he could do is he could look ahead to the future to what would happen 70 AD, when the Romans finally got sick and tired of the grief that the Jews in Jerusalem had given to them. So after they got fed up, they sent in their armies. And after a lengthy siege that caused mass starvation, the Roman general Titus, he led his army into Jerusalem and destroyed the city and leveled the temple and massacred so many men, women, and children. Jesus' Good Friday prophecy here to the women was so chilling. He knew that things would be so bad that caring mothers would rather be barren than bring children into the world where they would have to suffer so and that was all because those Romans, aided by those Jewish leaders and by the actually entire sinful human race, including you and me, were putting to death the green wood is as it's described here, Jesus, an innocent man. And if that would happen, if Jesus would suffer like that, the point that Jesus is making is he's saying, 
Well, if that's what happens to Jesus, what would happen to, how fierce would God's judgment be on the dry wood? That is unbelieving Jerusalem in 70 AD? That would be worse and forever. How fierce and complete the judgment of God is on, on those who reject Jesus, on those who don't want his grace and mercy and love. Oh, pray without ceasing for the dry wood, the unbelievers in this world, because without God's grace and love, which they're rejecting, their suffering will go on forever. Pray without ceasing for yourself as well because remember there's a little bit of that dry wood in each and every one of us because each and every one of us has a sinful nature, a sinful nature that doesn't love God, that fights against God, that wants to reject God. Thank God you have that new man, that faith part of you that loves God and wants to serve him but recognize you also have your sinful nature. Well, Jesus' final steps, they led to the place of the skull and on the way, two criminals were accompanying Jesus. Luke and the other gospel writers share this next detail, kind of matter-of-factly again. And well, they say two other criminal who were criminal, two other men who were criminals were led away with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Oh, what better way for Rome to hold the public in check than by using this horrific way of executing people who were guilty of crimes. And, and it wasn't just minor crimes that they would use this for. No, minor crimes, uh, jaywalking through the streets of Jerusalem. No, that wouldn't happen. This was for serious crimes. The word criminal actually could be rendered or understood. Villains, bad guys, evil people with criminals. Jesus took his final steps on the Via Doloroso. He was crucified with a criminal on either side as he fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy, which said he let himself be counted with rebellious sinners. Sure did. That's why his final steps led to the place of the skull to be counted not just with, but as a substitute for rebellious sinners like me. Oh, and a rebellious sinner like me, sometimes still with a self-righteous streak in me that, that likes to pop out and when I say self-righteous streak, we all have that self-righteous streak in us because 
You know, it's easy for us to say, I am the chief of sinners, to sing chief of sinners, though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me, to say Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. It's easy to say that, but then also to think, but I'm not really that bad. I don't need to be grouped with, oh, say for instance, a list like this. Adolf Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer, Jack the Ripper, John Wayne Gacy, Pastor Eckert. Put your name there as well. I don't really want to have my name there, but my Savior, he was ready to have his name placed there for us so that God's judgment, which you and I rightfully deserve, he took that upon himself. And Jesus, the only human being that's as pure as the driven snow, always perfect, every thought, word, desire, every action in his life, absolutely perfect, selfless, uh, he allowed himself to be numbered with criminals. This was always the Lord's plan though, wasn't it? Always his plan, one of pure grace. His final steps led to the place of the skull and at that place of the skull, he was crucified. Again, Luke states that kind of matter-of-factly. His words almost lack passion or feeling, it says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there with the criminals. Yet just one word there speaks volumes about the passion of our Savior. Our Lord was crucified. And some people do call that the most painful, the most horrific form of execution the world has ever seen so painful and so horrific that most of us would rather run out of this church than hear the gruesome details of what crucifixion really is all about. There's a series of six bulletin inserts called The Passion of Christ from a Medical Point of View. It's written by Dr. C. Truman Davis of Mesa, California, Arizona. He details the horrible physical horrors that Jesus endured from the Garden of Gethsemane up until he took his dying breath there at the cross. And those articles, those bulletin inserts, they're just so, so brutal, so horrific to hear, to read about. If you've never seen those articles, well, maybe just think about how this is all depicted in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And then you'd get a picture of, of what I mean. Crucifixion is a nightmare. And Dr. Davis, he concludes in his detailed study by by saying that Christ's passion, it gives us a glimpse of the epitome of evil which man can exhibit toward man and toward God 
This is not a pretty sight. No, it's not. It's not. But it's just talking here about the physical suffering that Jesus endured, and that was just a thimbleful of what, when compared to what Jesus really endured there at the cross. Remember, he went through hell. He was forsaken by God, abandoned by God. He paid for the sins of the world, all the sins that the world has ever, ever committed, ever will commit. The wages of sin is death, and he faced that. All of God's wrath, all of God's righteous judgment against us because of our sins. Every last bit of payment, he endured that all for you, for me, and for the whole human race. That's what Jesus endured. The horror of a Friday that we call good. And it had to be that hell that Jesus paid to bring heaven to you and to me. That's why his final steps led to the place of the skull to endure God's righteous wrath fully for my sins, for your sins, the sins of the world to win heaven for us. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God most holy, look with mercy on this, your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed, be given over into the hands of the wicked, to suffer death upon the cross, to endure hell for us. Keep us always faithful to him, our only Savior. We pray in the name of him who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. And we gather up all of the prayers we have as we join in praying. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. And we'll close with hymn number 319, On My Heart Imprint Your Image. On my
imprint your image, blessed Jesus, King of grace, that life's riches, cares, and pleasures have no power to hide your face. This the superscription be, Jesus crucified for me. Is my life, my hope's foundation, and my glory and salvation. Amen. Thank you for joining me for our Good Friday meditation. Remember that our Saturday devotion meditation will be on the seven last words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord bless and keep you always, and remember our Easter services on Sunday. God bless.